1: On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino, Shahan Jayaraja joins us to talk about his Big 12 predictions, and we give you our winners and losers of the weekend. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right? Our man, Michael Hostie, will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown you It's a beautiful Sunday, June 25th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games. With a huge selection of table games, including blackjack, blackjack match roulette, and Teddy's favorite, craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of June, all you got to do is visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now recording this on Sunday afternoon, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. Ted Lehman, how we doing, sir?
2: Doing fantastic, cannot complain.
1: I I don't quite feel like I just played a football game, <laughs> but from a mental strain, like physically I feel fine. Okay. Now other than some I'm just getting old type of constant soreness. You you right. you know the struggle. But hosting a two year old birthday party. Yeah. It's exhausting, man. It'll take it out of you. It'll take it out of you, especially swimming involved. So you're high alert, kids in the pool, now parents in the pool as well. But you're just everything. High alert the whole time, like trying to host, trying to get people drinks, everything, make sure everyone's happy. Caring about other people, which my wife has gotten me to do somehow. It's exhausting. It is exhausting, but fun. Fun time.
2: You know, it really makes you kind of appreciate the usefulness of like a Chuck E. Cheese yes. where you just go host a party somewhere else. You're there. Make sure they've got the cake. Make sure the right amount of pizza's out. Don't get the cups uh messed up. And that's really it. You know, it makes you have a new appreciation for uh just taking the party somewhere else.
1: I, I'm going to try to talk my wife into doing some of that moving forward. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. I know it's not. And that's fine. But, yeah, awesome party. Fantastic. Great. But exhausting. Absolutely exhausting. Yeah. But, but deal. hey, feel good. Feel you made good. it through. You made it through. Powered through. Now, like always, we start with the OU football stuff. There's really nothing to talk about, right? Now, we've got Shehan Jayaraja who wrote an awesome article predicting every game in the big 12 and we get into a lot of OU football with him, but Ted, this point in the calendar other than the defense going to the lake at broken bow. And there appears to be no one that suffered any, any Lake injuries, which is, you know, that's always good, right? No injuries at the lake can be a, can be a dangerous place at times. But other than that, man, there's, there's some recruiting news that, The staff's hoping to get very soon that will be exciting if they get the news they think they're going to get. But other than that, there's really nothing to talk about, which it hasn't felt that way in a very long time when it comes to OU
2: football. Oh, no. We had someone on Call Your Shot a handful of shows ago who said, uh, no news. No news is good news at this point of the season, at this point of the year. And I, I totally agree with that. You know, we're just, we're cruising along. Summer workouts seem to be going well. Um, you know, the offense and defense are, are getting some personal time hanging out with one another. So yeah, I, I think everything is uh looking pretty good right now.
1: Which is good. So it's really all we got when it comes to OU football. So now now we'll yell at Shaehan for not picking OU to play in the Big Twelve Championship game. <laughs> Which will be fun. But first we've got birthday shout outs, of course. Happy sixth birthday to
2: Chloe Palmer. And happy 56th birthday to Tracy Kleinert.
1: All right, let's talk some Big 12 predictions with our man, Shehan Jayaraja. Raja. But first, Love's Travel Stops is now offering a nationwide $0.10 cent per gallon discount on gas and auto diesel. Just download the Love's Connect app and scan your barcode at the prompt on screen and watch that price drop $0.10 cents per gallon. Across the country, the Loves Connect app unlocks exclusive deals and can help any traveler plan their route or meal on the highway. So before you hit the road, be sure to download the Loves Connect app to save $0.10 per gallon and experience the country's best highway hospitality at Loves Travel Stops. Loves also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones with their expanded mobile-to-go zone and, of course... Don't forget to grab yourself some of that delicious java
2: hamori. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise and is the best place to get your OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. If you want to live your life in butter soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED. For 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off.
1: And hey you hungry out there? Well then head to the garage for hand smash patties, butter toasted buns and ice cold beer. The food is fantastic and it is the perfect spot to watch any big game. Visit eatatthegarage.com to find a location near you and order online from the garage in your neighborhood. Alright, here's our man Shahan Jayaraja. It is our pleasure to be joined by a man that does a tremendous job covering college football for CBS Sports. Shehan Araja is in the house. How we doing, man? How we feeling?
0: I'm doing great, yeah. Thank you so much for having me.
1: So you you wrote an article, and I highly recommend anyone that loves Big 12 football, loves OU football, to go check it out. Basically, you looked at the over-under win totals for each Big 12 team And then you picked every single big 12 game that every single big 12 team is going to play. Do you just like punishing yourself for like, (laughs) what is what I, I assume the boss says, Hey, you got to do this. You're like, okay, fine. But that had to be a, uh, that had to be quite the process.
0: (laughs) I'll tell you what. So we schedule them out for every conference, right. In college football. And, Obviously, I have a Big 12 background. I'm from the state of Texas. I've covered the Big 12 for a while, so they they get me to do the Big 12 ones. And yes, obviously, I am a glutton for punishment, but also I got so much more punishment than everybody else got, which I think is actually a pretty good indication that nobody knows what to think about this upcoming Big 12 season. Obviously, so many teams that are just up in the air. And uh, you know what? If I have to be the one to withstand that, I can live with that.
2: Now, before we dive into like any of the the individual teams i just wanted to get your opinion because the big 12 is it's already difficult to predict um it seems like every year uh, a somewhat random team will make a run out, of like tcu last year i don't know that anyone predicted that it was it was it's hard to see and feels like every year someone does that but now we add four teams to the mix how difficult is it to gauge where those teams are going to sit within the, the big 12? I mean, they've got their own issues. Everyone does, uh, you know, replacing players and, and, and the, you know, the things that go into that, but like just transitioning to the league, how difficult did that make it to try and preview the, the whole conference?
0: Well, I'll tell you what, so I've done some version of this for about five years. I did it before at Dave Campbell's Tech's football magazine. Now I'm doing it for CBS sports. Um, And you kind of find a rhythm with these things right especially when we have this round robin schedule especially when we know who's going to play who and where it's going to be adding four new teams mixed with how that changes the schedule made this complete chaos having to take it this time around this was by far the hardest one that i've ever had to do and you mentioned the four new teams coming in byu cincinnati houston ucf uh I mean, we've seen these teams win at a high level very recently. I mean, in the last five years or so, every one of them has won 10 games. Every one of them has competed for the conference. Uh, They are really good teams. But doing it in a conference where you can lose any single week is a different sort of variable. And actually, even to throw into that, you don't even have a Kansas this year, right? You don't even have a game really across the board that uh, that you can just guarantee that's going to be a win for eight or nine teams. And so it made it very, very difficult. You know, I, I think that if you are a fan of one of the four new teams, other than maybe UCF, you probably think I underrated your team or undervalued your team. And I think that's totally fair. But for me, I look at the teams that have come into the Big 12. Obviously, during that 2012 year, where we saw West Virginia and TCU come in, and both those teams, I think, were in better situations than almost every team that's entering the Big 12 this year. Not that they're in bad situations, but they were just they had their coaches, they were coming off success, and both those teams struggled, especially in their first two years. It takes a second to get up to speed, and uh, yeah, so it made it made things very difficult. And if you were to tell me Cincinnati goes 11 and 1, and I pick them to go 4 and 8. I, I don't think I could argue with you.
1: <laughs> now, so, since we're talking about the four new members, right, you, you've you got UCF in your predictions. You've got UCF going eight and four, which is the best of any of the four new members. What makes you like UCF more than the other three? Like what sets them apart in your mind?
0: No, it's a great question. So there's a couple parts of this. One, they are the only team in in the out of the four coming in who return a quarterback all three others are going to be making quarterback changes this upcoming season the other part of it too when you look across four teams is that when you look at play caller when you look at head coach when you look at quarterback they have more alignment i think in those factors than everybody else coming into the league the other part that i really like about ucf and i think that Uh, Whether it was fully purposeful or not, hiring Gus Malzahn I think has been a good decision from transitioning into the Big 12 because when you look at UCF, their roster looks more like a Big 12 roster from a depth perspective. Than the other three teams in the conference you look at uh, metrics like the 247 talent composite they're actually right up there in the top 40 the other teams are more in the 60s and 70s uh and you look at the transfers they brought in certainly gus Malzon's connection to the sec i think is a big part of that uh obviously from a recruiting perspective they've done a well above average job for multiple years i, I don't think that they're just A development program like maybe you're looking at some of the other schools and and seeing that they get the most out of guys and that's an important piece but it's only one piece so I think that when you just look at the state of their roster when you look at what they have coming back uh, and when you look at the coaching staff that's obviously been there and done that to some extent I think that they have the best chance of withstanding the grind of the schedule now other teams might have higher ceilings at times I just don't know if they're gonna have that week-to-week consistency
2: talk to us about Houston Um, because, you know, not, it's a lot of people picking them to do very poorly, uh, in the upcoming season, which, you know, it's going to be a tough transition for them. You got to beat them Texas though, which is, is, is an interesting pick. So
0: what do you think about the way the Houston season lays out? Well, so again, I've covered state of Texas football for, you know, since 2018 and, When I tell you that Houston fans are excited for this Texas game, that is like the understatement of the entire century. This is a program-defining game in a lot of ways. So, you know, I don't know what they're going to do the rest of the games. I have them going six and six. If it's five, if it's four, it wouldn't shock me. But I think that, one, you look at Dana Holgerson, he's somebody who does, to some extent, know how to navigate the Big 12. Two, there's like that chaos factor with them. I don't think that Texas is going to face an atmosphere quite like this. They're going to play a lot of tough games. They're playing a lot of their tough Texas teams on the road, but Houston's going to be, I think, a unique experience when it comes for Texas. And uh, and I think that this is a game that that Texas very much might not understand the motivation that Houston's going to have for this, because this is their only matchup that they're going to play as members of the big 12. So that was kind of my, my logic on Texas. Uh, you know, I, I think that Texas is, to me, the favorite in the conference by a good margin, I don't think that they're good enough to just erase every other game and say that they don't matter. I think that it's going to be a lot of competitive games that they win. Uh, when I look at the rest of Houston's games, you know, I, I only have them winning three Big 12 games, uh, all of them at home. And uh, they play West Virginia, who I have finishing last place in the conference. I'm, I'm really worried about them. I have them beating Oklahoma State. I think Oklahoma State is just going to be an inconsistent team this year. So again, we're talking like the five, six range. So there's going to be moments where it looks great. There's going to be moments where their skill position players pop off and there's going to be moments where they look like a miserable football team. But, uh, you know, I think that Dana Holgerson knows how to, if you give him one game, I think that that he's going to have a really good chance of causing some chaos.
1: Yeah. I'm interested to see if Donovan Smith ends up being the guy for them at quarterback and they can get, you know, him to play up to his full potential. Who Who knows with the Cougars, but, You mentioned Texas going to be the favorite and you've been covering the league for a long time. And this is the first time you, you have taken the leap. You've done it. You have picked the Longhorns to win the big 12 for the first time since you've been covering the conference, what all led to that decision?
0: So a couple things, one, you know, when I looked at the all big 12 team, when I looked at the people who I picked for awards I mean, just a lot of Texas guys popped up there, right? I mean, you're talking about potentially the best receiver in the conference in Xavier Worthy. You're talking about uh, an offensive lineman in, in Kelvin Banks who's going to be a first-round pick whenever he's draft eligible. You're talking about a defender at linebacker in Jalen Ford, who I think might be the best defender in the whole conference. Uh, I think they've added some really key transfers. A.D. Mitchell from Georgia at receiver. Um, Isaiah Neer is going to be back for them as well, somebody who was going to contribute last season before he got hurt. I I just think that they have the combination of experience with a second year quarterback coming back, uh, consistency on the coaching staff, uh, high end talent guys who I think are legit NFL players like Kelvin Banks, uh, Jatavian Sanders at tight end, Jalen Ford at, at linebacker, like I mentioned. And I think enough of their questions are answerable with guys that I see on the roster who I have high hopes for than I do any other team. Now, Look, the thing is, I, I have them going 7-2 and two in conference. I have three or four teams going 6-3. and three. This is going to be a fight to the very end. This is not Texas gliding above the rest of the conference necessarily. But when I look at the other teams that I considered to be that top spot in the Big 12, Kansas State, of course, was one I had to consider. Uh, Texas Tech, I think, has a lot of upside, certainly Oklahoma. These are all teams that I see much more devastating flaws that I think could derail their seasons so part of this is what I think Texas can do and part of it also is that I don't see obvious competition that on paper and that's all we have right now should be able to compete with what they have and this is a leap like you mentioned I've I've covered the big 12 since 2013 and I've never picked them to win the league And so I understand the magnitude of what I'm picking here. They haven't done it since 2009. And you look at all the teams that have done it since 2009. But I think that they just have the least questions. And a big part of this, too, is frankly, if they don't make it to the Big 12 title game, if they don't win the league this year, I mean, I can't say it's anything except a failure for what they have and what they bring back and what they've been able to build over the past couple of years.
2: Now, one of the interesting picks in there is I've started to see this gain some steam across the country, that Texas is going to go into Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama, something that is very, very rare. And, you know, this is, I agree, Texas is going to have a nice roster coming back, but their roster isn't close to what Alabama's is. How did you come to the conclusion that Texas is going to go down there and beat uh, Nick Saban's team?
0: So when you look at Texas, right, you look at a team that gets up for big games and does not get up for medium games. And even last year, I think Alabama was a better team last year, and Texas was a worse team last year. And Texas should have won that game. Now it was in Austin, going to Tuscaloosa is another, another story. But that happened, right? They were able to compete from a roster perspective enough. The other part of this is, to, to an extent, fading Alabama. From my perspective, um, they lose Bryce Young at quarterback who was, if he wasn't the best player in college football over the last two years, he was top three, and they're replacing him with, I don't know what at this point. Jill Milrose started games for them, but the fact that they had to bring in a transfer at quarterback and Ty Buckner is just very concerning to me. It tells me that they're not happy with what they've got on the roster. I, I don't see sort of dynamic guys at the skill positions who are going to be Alabama level game changers like we've seen in the past. And defensively, obviously, they're working through the loss of Will Anderson, and Dallas Turner is going to be a really good player for them. But I, I don't know that I see a surefire Alabama team. And I see a Texas team that should be not just better, but it should be pretty significantly better than they were last season. They've got a second year quarterback coming in. I think that's a huge part of it. And again, this team gets up for big games. That's that's been in Texas DNA for several years. I'm worried about uh, again, people were asking me, how do you pick Texas to beat Alabama and then lose to Houston? And I'm like, have you watched Texas over the last 10 years? That's what they do, <laughs> right? I mean, they win the Notre Dame game and then go five and seven. That's that's what happens. And so I think that they're going to be really up for that game. Um, and, and I do think that they have the roster to compete. And we can, again, Steve Sarkeesian's been a part of putting it together. I think NIL's been a part of putting it together. But they, they've built the roster, I think, that can compete with Alabama. And I just think that Alabama's got a lot of question marks for me. And I'm I'm a little concerned about what they have going in.
1: When you look at Texas's team, for me, the big question mark going into twenty twenty three is the defense. Uh, I thought that they made, I thought they made some really nice gains on that side of the ball in twenty twenty two, but a lot of those key pieces are gone. Right? You think Coburn and Ajomo up there on the defensive line, Overshown at linebacker, like they lost some veteran guys that were that were really important to them a season ago. Any concern with Texas's defense when you look at that football team? Is that is that the biggest question mark you have for them?
0: So uh, it's a very big question for sure. Um, I think that sort of down-to-down offensive consistency is also a big question for me. That's been something that they've struggled with. Uh, and they don't have B. John Robinson to bail them out anymore. When you look at their finish Thank to last God. <laughs> i was so good no and so when you look at their finish to last season and they finished uh the big 12 season pretty strong it was basically bijan bail us out because we can't do very many things consistently offensively despite all the talent and you know i think quinn was kind of still dealing with his shoulder injury but he was not very good to close the year so that has to get better as well um you know i i think that i like the step that they took from year one to year two under pete Kwiatkowski. uh obviously Gary Patterson seemed to get a lot of credit for it. I think that it's a combined effort. I think that, I think that coach K is very good as well on the defensive side of the ball, uh, even when Gary Patterson gone, but, uh, you know, I, I like also the depth that they bring back. I think that they're just going to take, it's going to be a moderate step, but it's enough of a step, I think, defensively. And you mentioned some of the guys they lost. Well, you know, they bring in the guy in Jalen Catalan at safety, who I'm really excited about. He was a freshman All-American at Arkansas before he dealt with some injuries. If he's able to play, I think he has a chance to be special. Uh, Jalen Ford, who I mentioned, might be the best defensive player in the Big 12, that middle linebacker. I, I, and on the defensive line, you know, they've built up a lot of depth there. Baron Sorrell is somebody who led the team in sacks last year, but I don't think that the defensive line was all that good last year. I I think that, you know, they had their moments. They were okay as run stoppers, but I mean, you look at the sack numbers, you look at the pressures. it, It wasn't an elite unit by any means. I think that they have a chance to be at least a little better than they were last season, even though they might be a little younger. So I have, enough faith in the depth that they bring back that it'll give them a baseline. And certainly there's upside there, but I don't think they need to hit it to still be the best team, the big Twelve. All right. Oklahoma, you've got
2: Oklahoma going nine and three. Um, How dare you? Well, it's gotta be <laughs> one of the more difficult, you know, you've got a team that's been over the last 20 years, more consistent pretty much than anyone else in college football. And then you you go six and seven with the new coach. It's it's really hard to predict what to expect in that in that coming year. So what were some of the the
0: things that led you to that nine and three? Yeah, so you know when I look at Oklahoma and when I look at this first year for Brent Venables, right? Uh, I see a program like Oklahoma fans have said that had some issues, right? That, that whenever the former coaching staff left, I think had some major holes in roster and developments and they were able to fill some of those last season with transfers and and some good young players coming in as well. But I think that it's more than a one year flip, right? I don't think that this is a, just a blip. I think it's a build. And so when I looked at Oklahoma, certainly I mean, you have to say they're capable of winning all 12 of their games. Like, I don't think that they're going to be out of any of their 12 games next season. And and really, that was consistent with last season as well. They lost a lot of close games, but they were competitive in all but one or two of them. And so I think it's going to be like that a lot this year for Oklahoma. But the difference versus this versus, say... 2021, 2020, even 2019 is. I think that they are capable again of beating everybody, but they are also capable of losing to a lot of their teams that they're going to play as well. It's going to be a lot of 50-50 games. Um, You know, I I think that there are some limitations at quarterback. I I wouldn't be shocked if Jackson Arnold plays them to to end the year for them. I think that defensively, again, I expect growth. But this was a bottom ten defense in the nation last year, and I don't think that it's plugging holes and a little bit of experience away from being good for example and uh so the games that i picked right i have them losing against and tcu i also have them losing at oklahoma state in the final bedlam i'm sure some people will have some issue with that but uh you know i think that when you look at the rest of their schedule that game at cincinnati the big 12 opener for cincinnati that's a dangerous game Iowa state i think could have a chance to be better than people think at byu is a tough place to play ucf coming at home like if you told me that they went nine and three and I picked all three of their losses wrong, I wouldn't be that surprised. So I, I think that it's going to be a team with a lot of upside that by the end of the year is playing at a high level. But I, I get, again, just question the the consistency that they're going to have this upcoming season, replacing a lot, trying to fill a lot of holes. Um, you know, for me, it's a huge, uh, it's a huge red flag to me that's, Jeff levy system only has really one proven wide receiver who who's able to make plays in space. Some more guys can step up, but I'm worried about that. so a lot of good is going to come this season, but I've got a lot of question marks as well
1: and i I, I think that's fair. I do now you mentioned it it does not sound like you're very high on Dylan Gabriel and I saw that you you put your big twelve quarterback rankings tiers what kind of however you wanted to describe it but in the top tier you had Will Howard Quinn Ewers and Jalen Daniels and then in the next tier you had Tyler Shuck Hunter Deckers Chandler Morris and then Dylan Gabriel what what has you doubting Dylan Gabriel's ability like what what is what are the main reasons
0: behind that Sure. So I think that when I look at Dylan Gabriel, obviously a quarterback who does so many things well, I I think that his limitations are very well known by Big 12 teams at this point. And the thing that I question most about him is sort of that intermediate game. Because I think in this Big 12, with the way that teams play this 3-3-5, you have to be able to to win in the intermediate range. And Dylan Gabriel is very much a boomer bust type quarterback. He hits the big shots. And and obviously a lot of other stuff is built through the screen game. And I was at at Baylor in 2013-14, right? Like I, I know sort of the intimate ways of how Jeff Levy's offense works. You know, and I think that, with with dylan gabriel you're talking about somebody who i think can do the big stuff and and the little stuff is what i'm a little more worried about you know can he hit the the intermediate stuff can he go to the middle of the field can he stand in the pocket right these are questions that i have about him and he's entering year five i i think as a college football quarterback at this point i don't think that that stuff is likely to get better so when i look at him the biggest thing that i have about him is upside and i think that when i List out the guys ahead of him. You know they've I think been comparably good, but I think have more upside than what Dylan Gabriel might possess at this point. Now, do do you
2: factor in like the skill position guys for that? For example, like Quinn Ewers, um, he's going to have great skill position guys coming back. You know he had the same guys a year ago. He doesn't have Bijan Robinson. Like you could you could realistically make the argument that maybe they they're not as good at skill position as they were a year ago. Um, but you know, like Dylan Gabriel, who statistically was far better than Quinn Ewers last year, they went six and seven, but he's like, how do you think his skill position guys factor into that equation?
0: Yeah. So the way that I'd frame it is how able are these quarterbacks able to do what their team needs them to do within their system. Right. And so I think that when you look at Oklahoma system, it puts a lot on the quarterback. It, it makes them make difficult throws and makes them make throws down the sideline and yes certainly when you look at Oklahoma's receiver the uh, situation this upcoming year that is a red flag for me and I think that you know look if you're if you're asking me who had a better 2022 like Dylan Gabriel had a better 2022 than Quinn Ewers but I think that Quinn Ewers is more prepared to do the things that Texas needs to do to have a high level offense because of, one, what they ask him to do, two, certainly what they uh, what they have in their system. I mean, again, if you're asking, like, who would you take to start your team? I don't know that Will Howard is my number one, but what he's going to be asked to do in that Kansas State system and the effectiveness that he's played with in the Big 12 is why I have him number one, for example.
1: Well, Will Howard made Teddy and I look like idiots <laughs> last season. I told <laughs> the guy to his face that he should move to tight end swear
2: (laughs) in our defense his backup quarterback like (laughs) you could argue they put him in bad spots but it
0: was not good i i will i'll tell you what i remember watching him again like you said when he was a backup and he was at that time i felt like one of the worst players i'd ever seen play quarterback (laughs) He was so bad and he just didn't know where he was going with it. He didn't know what he wanted to do with the ball. And even when he, like, he just, I mean, again, a lot of this is confidence, I think, but he like, he, he couldn't plant and throw like, he just didn't do it. And, you know, so I remember when Adrian Martinez started dealing with his injuries last year and I'm like, Oh dear, that's what they have backing him up. And I just Same. saw him come out and and Dice teams up, and I'm like, who is this guy? Well, this did they is there another Will Howard on the roster? But I mean, again, you know, I think that, uh, and, and I kind of went on a little bit of a rant on this earlier this offseason on social media. Like, people want to be done with a guy so quickly sometimes, and you know, we're spoiled in the era of Trevor Lawrence's and Bryce Young. To believe that somebody's gonna be good day one it's just not realistic for every player and uh i i think that you know look is is, is will howard going to be the number one pick in the nfl draft no but i think that when you look at him staying with a staff that understands why they recruited him understands what he can do and knows how to to cater a game to a skill set and also develop the skills that he needs to have in order to succeed in an offense i mean Kansas state obviously does such a great job with it. And, uh, and I think you can even look at Skylar, uh, Skylar Thompson. I always mix up Skyler Thompson, Skyler Howard, because we, we had him a couple of years across in the big 12. But, um, you know, I think that that staff has just done such a tremendous job of making guys better and making guys understand what they need to do.
1: Yeah. So with that in mind, Kansas state defending champs, right. You've got them going 10 and two and playing for a big 12 title. Is that, does that have everything to do with just how good it seems Chris Kleiman is?
0: Yeah. I think that when you look at that team, um, my big red flag about them is certainly that they lost the dynamic guys. They lost the Deuce Vaughn. They lost the Felix Anadika Uzoma. But I think that their baseline is so high that it just is an advantage when you're playing almost anybody else in the conference. Uh, I mean, you're talking about a team – that defensively it's physical and knows where they need to be. And they were 15 deep last year on the defensive side of the ball and offensively. Again, Will Howard executes that system at a high level. I think that one of the, uh, I remember looking at at their tight end fullback Benson, it's numbers at the end of the year, and I'm like, I thought that he had 2,000 yards, man. Like he was just always in the spot that he was supposed to be. He and, killed and
1: I think, OU. I can tell you that, man. Yeah, just diced I, him up like, in the middle of the field.
0: It felt like that was every game, and then it's like, oh, he had 300 yards. Did I watch every one of them? I guess. But uh no, he's he's a good player. I think he's going to be a big part of that offense. You know, and I trust. Kansas State to develop and put guys in good positions and develop tight ends, and develop receivers. So, um, you know, certainly I think it's going to be a question to replace Deuce Vaughn's dynamic ability. But when I look at the baseline and, and having a quarterback who I think can make everybody around him just a little bit better, it, it just makes the floor higher. And look, if this was a much tougher Big 12, I don't know that I'd have Kansas State number two. But I think that this is a year again where there's going to be a lot of transition and turnover and Kansas state is the perfect kind of team to take advantage.
2: Yeah. I, one of the teams that's, that has a a tremendous amount of turnover is Texas tech. Um, last year's super experienced defensive. I think they had 10 of 11 guys were seniors starting on that defense, had a pair of running backs that, you know, carried a ton of uh, balls for them, wide receivers. Like they've had a big transition now they've got some good momentum going in the program right now, but personnel wise, are they going to be hurting a little bit this year after suffering some of those losses?
0: Well, I think that one thing on the defense side to look at is, you know, they played their last three games got a couple of their starters, including Tyree Wilson on defense, and they managed to put some good drives together still and managed to win all three of those last games. Um, and, you know, I think that offensively, Whenever Tyler Shuck's been in the lineup, which is a huge if, probably one of the biggest ifs in college football, but, you know, they've been, I, I think there's something like eight and one whenever he starts and finishes games. I mean, they are a consistent team whenever Tyler Shuck's in the lineup. Uh, I love what they have at receiver. I think they're super deep in the position at running back. I, I'm not too worried about that. Offensive line, have got a lot coming back. You know, defensively, like you mentioned, turnover, but They were a team that played a lot of depth last year as well. They rotated guys in. I think that they have a good system and a good defensive culture. Uh, The numbers didn't ultimately love them, but I think that they masked some of the actual uh, sort of effectiveness of the defense at times. So, I mean, when I look at this, I mean, (laughs) I I make this comparison with uh, Jeff Trailer at UTSA all the time. Everybody waited for these guys to come in and be recruiters, and they ended up being good football coaches with rosters that weren't theirs. Now they're going to have more of a roster that's theirs uh, at Texas Tech. And I think it's going to fit well. I, I think that they're going to develop well. And again, when you talk about teams that are obviously motivated at a high level, that execute at a high level, that are coached at a high level from top to bottom with a staff that I think is really good. Again, I think that when you're playing a lot of ga- close games, Texas Tech is probably the team that I trust the most to, to kind of take advantage of those moments. You know, one thing that I look at dating back to 2019 is – Every year in the Big 12 title game, and I don't have Texas Tech in the Big 12 title game, but every year going back to the Big 12 title game, you've had a team that's basically ridden close game luck to get there. 2019 and 2021, it was Baylor. 2020, it was Iowa State. 2022, it was TCU. Well, I think that Texas Tech might be that team that's able to ride close game luck to having a better season than people expect because I think that they've got a staff that really knows how to take advantage in the margins.
1: ECU, just an incredible 2022 and right had some close game luck like you mentioned what what's your expectation for them in 2023 like how how big do you think the drop off is going to be
0: well when i look at uh the non texan oklahoma teams in the big 12 i think what you're looking at is you have to have a solid roster throughout with a couple guys who can be difference makers and last year tcu had those difference makers of course this year they have guys who I think can emerge as difference makers, but they don't have the the guys just there and ready the same kind of way. They were aggressive in the transfer portal. They added a couple guys from Alabama, including Tommy Brockermeyer, Jojo Earl, uh, Trey Sanders at running back. So I think that, you know, they're hoping that some of those guys can turn into contributors. Defensively, I think they actually have a chance to be better with uh with what they bring back. The question is obviously offensively, they rotate out a lot of the the guys who were such a big part of their team. So I have them, you know, the, the line is at seven and a half. I have them narrowly hitting the over at eight last year, they were at six and a half and I bet the under. So maybe this is just a, a trauma response to, to seeing how badly I whiffed on them last year, but, I do think, you know, when I look at their losses, I have them basically losing their almost all of their road games and uh, winning most of their home games. So I think it's going to be a, an inconsistent year. I think by the end of the year, they're going to be better than they were at the beginning. But, uh, you know, I think that seven or eight is probably about right. Oklahoma State's, and I mean, all of these teams are,
2: are really difficult to to predict. Oklahoma State is one of those where, you know, whenever it feels like everyone's kind of down on Oklahoma State, that's the time to pick them to do well. Um, you know, they brought Bowman in, who's got a great arm. He's a gunslinger. Uh, Mike Gundy's probably the best I've seen at taking his roster and and just going wherever they take him. We've seen defensive-led teams. We've seen teams that lead with the running game. Um, we've seen – it's been a while, but we've seen some air raid teams that throw it all over the yard I think that that's probably what we're going to see this year with Oklahoma State they're going to move back to that style but um, how difficult were they to predict and like what are some of the big factors for them that could result in a good season or if it doesn't hit turn things bad
0: I think the the biggest question and this is kind of unanswerable is does Mike Gundy consider what happened last year to be rock bottom or is he not going to learn from it? And is this going to be rock bottom for them? I think that I think that last year was rock bottom for them where they just, I think they finished one in six in their final seven games. Uh, Once Spencer Sanders started dealing with injuries, the entire thing just fell apart. Um, He made obviously some, uh, some interesting personnel decisions and coordinator decisions, right? Bringing a division two coach who runs the three, three, five. But I think that that's, a recognition of where the big 12 is going. It's moving to this three, three, five. It's taking away some of the the uh, dynamic stuff that we saw during the mid 2010s And, uh, and obviously I think it's a, it's a response to Oklahoma and what they did to dominate the conference for so long. So I like the fact that he's being forward thinking from that perspective, we, we saw a great story um, from the athletic on Alan Bowman coming out this past week. And it feels like what he's telegraphing is that they're going to try to be a little bit more multiple and maybe not, not be under center by any means, but maybe factor in a couple different stuff as well. So that sounds more forward thinking than I worried Mike Gundy was going to do, but it's going to be a rocky year. It's going to be an inconsistent season. I don't know that they have the personnel to be all that good in the Big 12 this upcoming season. You know, I have them going eight and four, but at the same time, I don't really have them winning Almost any stretch games except for that Oklahoma game. I have them basically taking care of business with Kansas at West Virginia, Cincinnati, BYU, and that's it, right? So they they can get to seven or eight without having to to work that hard, and it might just be that as they have a transitionary year.
1: We'll get you back to the interview, but first,
2: Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School represents a tradition of educational excellence in Oklahoma City. Grounded in a faith-based education, students prepare to meet their potential with an individualized academic path that strives for success. Bishop McGinnis offers a college prep curriculum that includes 22 AP courses, participation in OSSAA athletics, where they've won over 100 state championships, and numerous clubs and organizations for students to join and grow. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit... BMCHS.org financial aid is available.
1: And attention, business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in orders on a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be, too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A dot com. All right, back to the interview. Okay, looking at Baylor in Iowa State. Right? It's been a roller coaster under Dave Aranda yeah. there in Waco, and Iowa State now two disappointing seasons in a row under Matt Campbell. Do you believe in the Bears? or the Cyclones more in 2023?
0: I I definitely believe in the Bears more heading into 2023. I think that, one, you've just seen Dave Aranda be more aggressive in writing his mistakes, I think, than you have with Matt Campbell. They made an offensive coordinator change getting Tom Manning out of town, but it was an internal hire, Nate Schillhaus, taking over the offense defensively you know I mean Iowa State is a machine they were the best defense in the conference last year and I think that they're going to be in perfectly good shape this year but you know I think that Baylor has just again been more aggressive in trying to write what it struggles with Uh, they used the transfer portal much more liberally this season than they did last season Iowa State only took I believe two players in the transfer portal from a team that went four and eights you know with Baylor I think also I think that they have a chance to get back in some ways to to stuff that helped them during their 2021 title run. Blake shaping coming back as a second year quarterback, I think will be really big for them. They added many more weapons around him, which I think was actually probably their biggest offensive issue last year was their lack of receiver talent. Uh, Keatron Jackson is an Arkansas transfer who was going to be Arkansas's wide receiver one, most likely before he ended up transferring and defensively you know, look, last year was a disaster. Dave has really never had a defense as bad as last year's Baylor team. Um, they were aggressive in the transfer portal. They they added a linebacker from from Liberty, who I think that they really like. Uh, my big question for them is, can some of these secondary pieces grow up? And uh, they brought in a defensive coordinator, Matt Palich, who focuses on the secondary, was a safeties coach before. So Again, I think that Baylor, you just trust how one, the the state of their roster, I think, is just a little bit better, but two, they've been much more aggressive trying to fill their deficiencies. And, um, you know, again, both of these teams were also close game luck teams last year where everything went against them. So either of them, I think, could easily have a flip in 2023.
2: Kansas has a rare situation going on to where you could argue and have a very strong case that if all things were equal, they got the best quarterback in the conference. And, you know, they're going, you have them going five and seven. Uh, it's it's tough. You feel like, I, I think, at least myself, I want to believe that Kansas is, has found something. They're going to be more competitive. But the realistic thing is, yeah, they've got the great quarterback, but what's the rest of the roster look like, right?
0: Yeah, well, and I think for me, too, they got to six wins last year, they were a little lucky to probably get to that number, and and all credit to them, luck makes the world go round, teams win national t- championships because they get some luck, but I don't necessarily know that six wins was, per se, representative of what that team was. I think that they were probably more of, like, a four-ish win quality team, but, like, that's still a lot better than they've been for a long, long time. And so this upcoming year, I think they're probably about a five and a half win quality team. And it's just potentially going to be a swing game here or there. Maybe that Illinois game at home early in the season ends up being a swing game. Uh, you know, so you talk about them being competitive. I think they're going to be competitive with everybody. Like, you know, they get Texas tech, Kansas state, Oklahoma at home. I don't think they're going to beat those teams, but I think that they could give somebody a scare for sure. Like they did uh, obviously to, to, to Oklahoma a couple years ago. Um, so, you know, I want to be clear. I think this Kansas team is better than the one that played last season. I just don't know if they're going to be able to ride some of the breaks that they got to, to being able to win. I mean, look back at the game that, that got them to a bowl game. It was Oklahoma state completely imploding on itself. And so I think this will be a more representative season and five and seven will feel disappointing after what Kansas did last season. But I think that in a way, being able to go into 2023 and win three big 12 games shows that last year was not a fluke, that this is a real team that can be really competitive, that you should not just pencil in at the bottom of the conference. So I know that five and seven probably doesn't feel all that attractive to Kansas fans, but I would see it as a step of progress.
1: Right. Yeah. It's just, you shouldn't feel bad for picking Kansas to win five games. You just, you should Shay You should now (laughs) last one we'll let you get out of here, man. Who, what fan base have you gotten the most blowback from? I, I imagine because, hey, when you put it all out there like this, and once again, go read the article. It's fantastic. It's really well done. But I got to imagine you have received a lot
0: of constructive feedback. <laughs> That's a great question. So uh, I, this isn't my answer, but... I do have to shout out West Virginia fans who are exactly split. Uh, some are like, how do you only have us winning three games and finishing last place? That's insane. We've never done that. And the other half is like, we're going to win a game. I don't know about that. Like, they're, they're, They are so split on the topic. And, and look, if you're a West Virginia fan, I understand. I mean, three and nine is not something that this roster in this program is used to. I, I'm just, I'm concerned that after that first stretch where they play, by the way, at Penn state, and versus Pitt in the first three weeks, Brutal. that everything might just fall apart, right? That's what I'm concerned about. Um, you know, the other team that I got a lot from, and it was it was great for me, you know, as as a D12 reporter to finally meet Cincinnati fans. Uh, you know, since they're now members of the conference. This is my first real interaction with them. Uh, I have them going four and eight and look I mean if you're Cincinnati and you've seen what they've done over the past couple of years I get being mad and upset about it but this is not the same coaching staff It's not the same quarterback situation this is not the same defense that they had this is a different type of schedule I don't think they have the depth right now and again I could be wrong I I pointed you know to that Cincinnati Oklahoma game that's going to be the big 12 opener I would not be surprised if they had a great game and like We're able to build some momentum, but I just don't see it on paper right now. I don't see a quarterback in Emery Jones who's going to be able to be a top tier quarterback in the Big 12. I don't see, you know, they've got a great defensive lineman in Dante Corleone, who's going to be an all-conference player. And once you get past that, I just don't see the vision for how this team is competitive in the Big 12. So it's going to be a tough first season. It's going to be a tough transition for them. Um, But again, like I said, if you were to tell me that any of these teams rides you know a a silver bullet all the way to nine or ten wins like it's possible all of them have competed at a high level but i just don't see the path for cincinnati right now Now
2: i'm guessing every fan base not all of them but most fan bases uh hated their their win totals but everyone like as a group was upset about the texas pick right (laughs) did we at least come together (laughs) as a conference
0: with that pick well i did get a couple of how do you have texas losing two games how do how did you uh they they should be going 11 and 1 or 12 and 0 like and, and lots of stuff certainly about again taking them to beat alabama and then lose to houston which again to yeah. that i say watch texas man that's what they do but that's true. Uh, no i mean look a lot of people responded and we're like, oh, you do this every year. You you overrate Texas every single year. And I'm like, I don't know who you think you're talking to. That's I've been, yeah, been lumped in. Yeah, I've been lumped in with the in. rest of the media. Uh, uh, spoiler alert to people one, um, the media does not just have one total opinion on things. Two, uh, somebody called me a corporate show like CBS <laughs> benefits from Texas being good. <laughs> you know we don't get the SEC after this, right? We're we're only shills for the Big Ten after this season. So, like, it's just – I love it. I, I mean, again, Texas, this is going to be such a fun year. And actually, even when I look at Oklahoma, again, obviously as a team leaving the conference, I think that one thing that's going to maybe never be replicated is this upcoming season for Texan-Oklahoma. Because you're talking about a schedule where everybody – is going to, I mean, every year Oklahoma gets everybody's best shot, but this is going to be a unique situation where this is like every single game for them is going to be like that Texas versus Texas a game back in 2011, because this is the last chance that all these teams are going to get a chance to play them. So uh, it's going to be unique. I think that certainly both programs are going to be able to handle it. But if you told me again that, that Texas has some insane game against anybody really, it wouldn't shock me because I do think that it's just going to be that kind of year. I mean, Hey, guess what? Texas plays Kansas at home. I, I, <laughs> I'm not saying it's going to happen, oh boy. but like, but like this is the last time that Kansas will play Texas as members of the same conference. So it's going to be a unique situation. It's going to be a really fun year. And honestly, more than anything else, what this, uh, what this article made me do was made me want football season to start tomorrow.
1: Yeah. I hear you, man. Well, appreciate the time. Uh, thank you so much, and I'll see you here in a couple weeks at Big 12 Media Day.
0: Can't wait. Talk to you guys later.
1: All right, man. Thanks. I I guess I kind of do the same thing Shayhan does when I'm making my Big 12 predictions, but, man, to put it all out there in one article like that and have to come up with reasons, you're basically just inviting fan bases to yell at you, which, what what a brave
2: man brave brave man it's not easy it's not easy and you know it's like a funny dynamic too because there's this overwhelming um like it happens every year to a certain degree with Texas but this year it's strong right with how good Texas is supposed to be and to go ahead and take that take that you know viewpoint with with kind of what everyone is saying out there and have them losing to Houston is it's bold but i 100% get the premise like that's that's part of what you see with Texas i it, they've been a team that we've said in the past they don't know how to handle victory right you'll have play a really good game and then you know feel like they've arrived and and really let down but i don't know it's it's not an easy position to be in you've got to make picks and We'll see how it all unfolds.
1: Yeah. I I did not pick Texas to play for the Big 12 championship game. And it's this simple for me. Sark's never won double digit games as a head coach. And Texas hasn't won double digit games. They've won it, they've won double digit games one time in the last 13 seasons. I know how talented the roster is, but we've been able to say that a lot. So I'm just for for Texas, I'm just going to – I'm going to have to see it before I pick them to do it. I, that That's just where I'm at with that program. Now, Kansas oh. State, I'm kind of just simulating them through, right, just because I believe in climate. I believe in the identity that that team has. can't believe I'm going to say this. I believe in Will Howard. <laughs> but I just – I don't have that belief in Texas. And there's no doubt that – me being raised to hate that program factors in. There's no doubt. I know that there's bias there. I understand that, but just going to have to see it, man. That's where I'm at with it.
2: And I also think that they probably have one of the more difficult schedules in the big 12. Uh, If you compare their schedule to Oklahoma's schedule, I would say we, we got off far easier. Now, who knows whenever we, we, it all gets here in the fall and, we actually see what everyone's got. But as you look at it right now, I'd say Texas has a tough little gauntlet to make it through.
1: Yeah. All right. Let's finish up with our winners and losers of the weekend. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the weekend?
2: I got to go with the Cincinnati Reds, man. Ellie Dela Cruz. Um, I, A prospect like that is, it's just so incredible and invigorating for a fan base the fact that they won 12 games straight they lead the nl central with 41 36 record um but the real thing is ellie de La cruz hits for the cycle first player in major league baseball history to hit for the cycle still a bla- uh, base and knock in four plus rbis and he's still like in his first two weeks as as a major league baseball player, just incredible stuff.
1: Even though what Braves ended that win streak. Right. Yeah. And that game had so many home runs in it. I saw the highlights of it. There was like eight home runs in that game, but that dude, he's like, now you, is he, is he entering one name territory? Like just Ellie? Yeah. Cause I see tweets just Elliot. I'm, i I know exactly who you're talking about. And I I'll be real. I didn't knew I didn't know who the guy was like a month ago. And now he's a one name guy. Like that's how damn good he is. That was quick.
2: Yeah, that's crazy. He's a shortstop that's like six foot five. He can run. Obviously, he can hit. Um uh, just really incredible. Now, I will say this. We have seen some stuff like this where a prospect makes it to the bigs and starts off just red hot. But it's a matter of time before the league you know, builds that heat map on you and figures out what your strengths and weaknesses are and how they need to pitch you and all of those things. So I imagine this red hot streak is going to be somewhat short-lived, but uh, he looks like he's got all the tools to be an all-star type of player. Just it's fun to watch. And baseball right now is more fun to watch than I can remember.
1: I I'm gonna make this comparison, and I want you to take all the off the field, off the court stuff. Is is Ellie? Is he the John ja Moran of baseball? Like he's just, he's like so explosive and exciting to watch for me, and like just it's weird to be like, I really enjoy watching that guy run around the bases. (laughs) Like, I I don't think I've really ever said that about a guy, but he's just flying a million miles an hour. Like, it's just there, there's something different about his explosion, his athleticism, than a lot of other guys. Right. I, I, I don't know if John Morant's a good comparison, but that's kind of the, the feeling I get when I'm watching this dude play baseball. It's kind of how I feel when I watch John Morant play basketball. I'm just like, good Lord, man, look at this guy.
2: Well, I haven't been to a stadium to watch De La Cruz, but I can imagine whenever he steps to the batter's box, like there's a buzz in the stadium, right? Like whatever you're doing, like if you were at the restroom or you were ordering some peanuts or whatever, like there's got to be a buzz that everyone stops what they're doing and dials in for that moment. And I think that's the same thing with, I mean, you can say Morant, you can – You know, you could say, like, when any of the greats, like, whether it's golf or, you know, football, whatever it is, like, it's must-see TV for that moment whenever he's got an opportunity. So, yeah, I I hope it continues. Like I said, they're going to build a book on him, how to attack him to make life way more difficult. But he looks like one of those rare talents as of right now, so it's going to be fun. And I like seeing the Reds get it going, man. It's nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, who do you have as your loser of the weekend? I had to go back to West Virginia, and I know we we've talked about the the Huggins deal, um, but it it continues to. Uh, it sounds like it's turned into an ordeal. All right, so you know they've got to make a move on a head coach, and it sounds like you know they were really interested in John Bayline, who is a Hall of Famer uh most recently where was he? he was in the league right um
1: he went to the, what was he was the cavs, cavs head coach yeah.
2: and it failed miserably was with the cavs but you know he spent some time in west virginia in the early 2000s was at michigan for a long time um you know a coach that that has a really nice pedigree sounds like at least if you listen to to what people are saying online boosters and players unhappy with that situation and maybe shut that down. There's even rumors that Bob Huggins, to some degree, still has his hand in, in what's going on there, possibly. I don't know, with some influential people. Um, but they ended up going uh, within the, the, the coaching staff on an interim basis for a full year until next offseason just to try and keep the roster intact. As you mentioned last time we talked about that, They've had some really good transfers, and they put together what looks like it's going to be a really promising team. So in an effort to keep all of that together, they had to keep it within the coaching staff currently, and uh, who knows what's next with that whole debacle in West Virginia.
1: Yeah, Josh Eilert named the head coach for twenty twenty three, the 2023-2024 season there for West Virginia. They've already had, what, three guys enter the portal? Like is Eilert a guy, the guy that they feel most confident can keep those three guys, right? Convince them to come back. I I don't know. All I know is Ren Baker. He has a he he inherited a big old pile of poopy in his two no t- revenue generating sports. And man, it is just he's grinding. He's earning that big paycheck as the athletics director. My goodness.
2: Yeah, it's never tough whenever I mean, you're presented with Like, what are you going to do with the Huggins situation, right? I mean, with the the month that he had. But it sounds like there's some very influential people that, you know, are unhappy about it as well that, you know, write some big checks to the university. It's it's not a good situation for anyone to be in. Especially
1: Huggins' daughter's notes app that she put out there. Long, long letter that didn't help anything. I I would, I think she thought she was helping. She did not help. That was not helpful for her father. <laughs> Everyone drinks. I mean, come on. It's like, uh, okay, uh, this is awkward.
2: You know, whenever I lived in Fort Gibson, we lived out in the country. And, um, there was a lady that lived near us that would go on a walk every day with a, like a big trash sack. And she'd, pick up like cans and bottles and stuff that were on the, that people discarded out the car windows. as she went on her walk. And even here where I live in Goldsby, there's a gentleman that does that and walks up and down. I don't see Bob Huggins is the can collector. That's taking a walk around the neighborhood with the sack. Right. I know people do that, but that's kind of what she tried to paint the picture as with Bob Huggins. I don't like typically I'll give people the benefit of the doubt, but I'm not buying that one.
1: Yeah. He, he's done a lot of great stuff for that state and that university. There's no doubt raised a ton of money for like cancer research and all that. But I, everyone already knew that you don't, you don't need to get out the old notes app and tr- try to defend your dad or at least give it some time, just a little time. But yeah, yeah. I read that. I was like, this is not helping, but yeah. Hey, it's, it's her dad. I get it. That's right. That's it's her right. dad. I get it. All right, let's get to my winner and loser, but
2: first, John Vance Auto Group has been serving Oklahomans for 40 years, family owned and operated. They got nine full service dealerships in Woodward, Miami, and Guthrie. No matter what your vehicle needs are, John Vance Auto Group has you covered. They carry domestic brands such as Ford, Lincoln, Chevy, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, Jeep, and Wagoneer. John Vance Auto Group's goal is to give unequaled service and to exceed customers' expectations in every way, which is why they have their lifetime loyalty program, and here's how it works. Buy a new or used car from them. All you have to do is get all of the manufacturer-recommended maintenance done at the Vance dealership, and if something goes wrong with the components of your engine, transmission, drive, axle, or transfer unit, they will cover the repair costs. It's a great deal. You can browse their entire inventory or find the John Vance dealership near you at VanceAutogroup.com.
1: And First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit FFB.com for more information. All right, for my winner of the weekend, thought about going with the Los Angeles Angels. Been a lot of Angels content on this podcast lately. They beat the Colorado Rockies twenty five to one there at Coors Field, and it was I watched, I watched the highlights. They had twenty eight hits. It was insane. I mean, it was insane, and it was it was a very fun highlight reel to watch there for the Angels. But yeah. Playing good baseball. They said they're thinking about actually holding on to Otani. Like, look at the Angels go, Ted. Look
2: at them go. That's crazy. Um, twenty-eight hits. That I feel like that's one of the, like the coach pitch uh games that I'm used to attending, where it's just serving them up, baby. They're hitting them all over the yard. Yeah,
1: that's good. But my winner of the weekend, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Late last week, of course, the NBA draft. And Sam Pres Sam Presty drafted a guy I knew, I knew his name already. I knew where he's from. Like I I watched him play in college. Seems like he can help right away. I I didn't exactly know how to respond to Caseon Wallace getting drafted. I I I was like, I know that guy. This is easy. This is easy. The, that's not always the feeling we get, but hey, if Sam Presty traded up for him right? That's good enough for me, Ted. I, I believe in Presti and his evaluation ability, and I'm expecting and I don't know if it's Kason, Kassan, Kason. I think he probably answers to all of them. The only thing I saw was he said, do not call him Carson. That's the one that sets him off, which noted, never going to call you Carson. Never. But seems like a guy that can help right away. And you and I love the guys that when the first thing that comes up is this guy has a motor and plays his ass off, mm-hmm. I really don't need anything else like it just give me that and if you play with that mentality, everything else will fall in place i'm I'm excited about the pig,
2: yeah um were you were you shocked that like they maneuvered to get there? The
1: the trade with Dallas, and remember when we had Andrew Schlecht on to talk about it, he mentioned the Thunder taking on that Bertans contract. Right, that's what ended up happening. And really, we'll see what happens with Davis Bertons if he ever plays for the Thunder or not. I, I'm not entirely sure what the plan is there, but you didn't give up anything. But and and you're taking on a large contract, but they've got plenty of cap space and you didn't give up any of those future assets to move up. Yeah. Uh, you gave up that pick and you took on Bertans. It's not like you gave up any of the bevy of first year, uh, future first rounders. So I, I had no problem with what he did.
2: Yeah. Well, I, we'll see. Um, I'm not as versed on, on Wallace as you are. I, I like it though. Athleticism, motor, great defender. Um, I'll take it. See, like if he could do that and continue to develop a three-point shot, it's going to be what you have to have.
1: Yeah. Now, he shot 35% from three uh, at Kentucky, which is pretty dang solid, right? And you would expect that to get better. But, you know, on the list of the Thunder's needs, did I think 6'2 guard was at the top of that list? I did not. But... He's got a 6'8 wingspan, right? And he's a playmaker. This is what the Thunder, the Thunder are just stockpiling guys that know what to do with the ball in their hands offensively and guys that are versatile pieces defensively, right? That's, it's clear that's what Presti is doing and Wallace can handle. The the shooting is decent and it's going to improve. But man, he's got that dog in him. That's all that, that's all that matters to me. Mark Dagnall, compared him to ed reed dude the free safety ed reed the hall of Famer. i was like that's all i need to hear (laughs) that's all i need to hear if he's ed reed my goodness
2: let's go i'll take that yeah it's interesting i you know and maybe this is dumb of me but i feel like the pick also kind of says a lot about what they think of the current roster yeah right like it's not like a reach or a stretch. It's for someone that very quickly has a role and it's just, it's, you know, being able to, to like play, make, as you said, defend, develop a three point shot, but someone that can kind of help you right away. That isn't going to be a long-term project just feels like, feels like could be a, a, a decent piece for you right away. Yeah
1: which is exciting. Like as a fan, and there are rumors they tried to get up into the top seven or eight to get cool Bali. The the French guy weren't able to do it. I, Who knows if that is true or not. But when you look at and Wallace, he looks like a guy that's going to be in the rotation right away. Right. Especially now he had a little bit of a back issue, but I would imagine that they get that all straightened away there. The Thunder have a great reputation of, you know, taking care of their guys and and doing some preventative stuff when it comes to things that linger like that. But I I was fired up, went and watched all the highlights I could find. And, you know, some people are comparing him to Dort and wondering what, what this means for Dort's future. If you have multiple guys that bring it night in and night out like Dort, uh, give me all those guys. I want them all give me all of them but this is what Kevin O'Connor had in his draft guide and I think he does a really good job for the ringer This is what he said about Wallace defends much bigger than his height would suggest much like Drew Holiday he hounds opponents with his length toughness and fundamentals Ted Drew Holiday is one of our favorite NBA players and it's pretty simple we watch him play basketball and you, you think the guy can play football because of the way that he plays basketball. And that is, that's essentially the biggest compliment you and I can give an NBA player.
2: Well, you know, whenever you've got a guy that you mentioned the wingspan and he's six to like, you, he probably makes a lot of plays because it, it's hard to just envision a guy like with that type of reach at that size, like you feel like you've got an edge on him, but because of the reach, he's able to, to, you know, sniff out mistakes from guys and and make plays. So yeah, man, I, I'm, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that, like, I'm just like in love with the pick, but I think it's got a chance to be incredibly solid. A lot of upside. Yeah.
1: If the shooting improves, that's good. And I don't know why it became such a big deal. Right now, clearly the reporter that asked him about comparing Lexington, Kentucky and Oklahoma city, that guy clearly has no clue that Oklahoma city is one of the 25 biggest cities in America. He's got no clue. And that's fine. That's fine. But, and you and I, I would say we are, when it comes to the state of Oklahoma, we are, we are homers, right? We, we get defensive, right? Just like a lot of Oklahomans. We carry that chip. You just, you're born with it when you're born here, but I think I think some people just got a little too sensitive about Kason Wallace saying that there's not a lot to do in Oklahoma City, right? And he hasn't spent a lot of time here. He, in time, is going to find there are plenty of things to do when you live in the state of Oklahoma and you live in Oklahoma City but some people interpreted what he said as like some big slap in the face to the entire state. I was like, guys, just let's relax. It's not that big of a deal. I, I am, I'd rather a guy say something like that. than, man, there's so much stuff to do there. I'm going to be so distracted. We'll see how my game turns out. Like I'd rather hear a guy say, you know what? There may not be much to do, but I can focus and, I mean, the guy literally said, I'm perfectly fine being in Oklahoma, but that was already after he said, there's nothing to do. And people were pissed.
2: (laughs) So pissed. Yeah. Quit getting upset. You're, you're, you're putting out a bunch of small city energy. We don't need that. Yeah. Big city energy only. Big city energy only. Like you just take that. Water off a duck's back doesn't mean anything. He'll be fine whenever he comes here. There's plenty to do. Um he'll be shocked to find out that, you know, we don't ride horses to work and you know, we got cell coverage and everything. It's going to be great. It's going to be like he hit hit the lottery. Even he, he's not even going to know what to expect. It's going to be amazing.
1: We got Wi-Fi. We got we got wifi. Great Wi-Fi.
2: We got great cuisine. Got everything you want. Yeah,
1: he'll be he'll be fine. It, w- one other piece of thunder stuff is you know, we'd talked about Vasily Micic, and I I continue to hear it like six different ways. Micic, Micic, Micic. I'm not entirely sure how you say it, but he's made the decision, right? And this is EuroLeague, uh, Turkish League, like guy, guy can ball, right? He's made a decision. He wants to play in the NBA. If that's going to be an OKC, I don't know. Right, you think about the Wallace pick and does it make sense if they thought Mitchich was going to be on board? That's an interesting discussion. But at the very least, Sam Presti is going to go try to find some value for this guy, right? Because right? they have his rights. So that that has become a very interesting situation with him. And that's a guy that, a veteran guy, I think he's twenty nine or so. And I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's kind of fun. Fun to imagine what what the thunder could flip him into or if he's fine with playing here, then let's go, man. Lace him up.
2: Yeah. No, it'd be interesting. You know, it's, he's a veteran guy, but you know, those, those European leagues are are much higher level basketball than they used to be. So it's not like, it's not looking down on either one to say that they, when they've won championships and honors over there in some of those leagues, that's legit. Right. So you got to give the guy, uh, you know, um, got to give him some respect for doing that. And we'll see. We'll see what happens with it. I know they'll make the right move. Yeah. Um, I guess I don't know, though. I'm confident they'll make the right move.
1: I am. I am hopeful that Sam Pressy will continue to be the best in all of basketball. All right. For my loser of the weekend, thought about going with Deion Sanders, Coach Prime. Some scary stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, all the attention, all the momentum that Colorado's got. And it seems like he's got a pretty substantial blood clotting issue and had surgery to fix some of the clots in his leg. Remember, you know, he put it out there that there'd been discussions about possible amputation of his foot. Like does not sound fun. Now, from what I read and what I saw from his Instagram, it seems like the surgery went very well, which thank God. But man, this is this does not sound fun at all for Deion Sanders. This sounds miserable,
2: dude no he he's had to use those scooters and stuff to get around you know it's from a from a former athlete to see like what like there was a video of him floating around on on twitter last couple of days of just a highlight reel of a bunch of his interception returns and punt returns for touchdowns and the guy was incredible like by far the fastest guy on the field at all times, like high stepping. As soon as he catches the ball, then there's people that can't catch him when he's doing that. Like fast guys. It's, it's incredible. So to know that that's, that's what he was. And now he's for so long, he's been reduced to a ton of pain and not being able to be very mobile is, uh, you know, it's not what you want. Hopefully, you know they fix it, and he gets some good blood flow back to his his feet and his legs, and is able to to recover a bit and, and get some of that use back. But I don't know, we'll see.
1: Yeah, I just I want him I want him to be at full strength, man, because I think him and what he's either going to accomplish or not accomplish with that program i I think it's the most interesting story in college football. Yeah. I I really do. So. Hopefully he gets back to you know a hundred percent and is able to put all of his effort and energy into that as opposed to uh, you know not worrying about whether or not he's got to get his foot cut off, right? I don't know that's I... God. that would just having that linger over you, I can't imagine, oh my gosh, but Ooh. my loser of the weekend. Man, we we haven't talked about Les Miles in a long time. No, we have not, and he's back, baby. Because, and I'm not sure if you would ask me, "Hey, is Les Miles a college football Hall of Fame worthy coach?" My initial reaction probably would have been no, but I mean, it's it's definitely a conversation. But now, it seems like he's definitely not because LSU vacated 37 wins from his tenure because of some recruiting violations uh, during that period of time that dropped his winning percentage as a head coach from 66% to 59%. Just a reminder, the criteria for a coach to get into the college football hall of fame, the threshold is 60%. Ouch, Ted, ouch.
2: That is brutal. Well, like the double ouch part of it is, I I haven't done the math, but I gotta imagine. Had he not gone to Kansas, he probably would have stayed at sixty percent. Oh yeah,
1: there's no right? doubt. Because all they did was lose when he was there. That's all it they, was they awful.
2: did, right? So, yeah, that's that's tough. And now
1: remember, he was let go at Kansas because of some unflattering accusations from his time at LSU, right? Being inappropriate with female staffers, right? And that's why Kansas said, hey, you're losing and this, you you, you got to go, man. <laughs> but I I look at this situation, because this is something we talked about when Mike Leach passed away, right? Mm-hmm. That the College Football Hall of Fame should make an exception for Mike Leach, right? Because he, he, he won 59% of his games. But Mike Leach is 59% and Les Miles, 59%. Like, all these circumstances that factor into both. The number is the same, but those are not equal situations. You know what I mean? I, yep. I I think the College Football Hall of Fame would be willing, you know, with the tragic passing of Leach and you know, him just the, – the air raid and what it has done to football. Like, Mike Leach should be in. I don't think really many people are going to go to bat for, for Les Miles. From just what I, what what I've ever heard about the guy,
2: right? Yeah. And listen, I don't I don't know. All I know is accusations and stories. I don't know the guy. Um, it's just you hate you hate how like the the vacated wins, which I think
1: is stupid. I, I
2: am. Know. It really it only ends up really affecting him. You yeah. know. Like everyone involved, like even when you're talking about championships and stuff, and I'm not necessarily talking about LSU here, but it's like USC. We all watched the championship. We know who won it. Like we know who won the Heisman. You can take it away if you want. Like most people are going to go ahead and and claim those people are you know the best or or whatever. But in this situation, it's like you've no one cares about the 37 vacated wins except for maybe the guy who needed them to be eligible for the Hall of Fame.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, it's like this is all about extra benefits to, I think, a recruit's dad. And now you look at it, people are paying these recruits and their families left and right. There's bidding wars to get these guys to come to school. And you're vacating 37 wins that could keep less miles out of the hall of fame you just look at this situation less miles has to look at and be like really i mean really like that's that's oh. what we're doing
2: wait a second you're telling me the the quarterback is getting paid a million dollars for this upcoming season and we're vacating 37 wins because someone gave a players yeah it seems it's it seems like you almost have to like Anything that happened after this point is now okay. Like you just don't even go back and waste your time on resources on that. But that's the NCAA for you.
1: Well, and I think from what I understand, it was like LSU implemented this stuff on themselves, right? Because they got the notice of allegations and all that.
2: Which we've all learned, you never, do. never do. You never
1: cooperate. Don't vacate your own wins. What are y'all doing? The NCAA that let them—they're gonna do. Whatever they're gonna do, right? It has been proven that if you cooperate, go ask Mike Boynton in Oklahoma State basketball what cooperating with the NCAA gets you. I don't Drag know it why out, LSU
2: delay, 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 go to court, yeah, fight. fire up. It doesn't matter how small you fight every little piece of it tooth and nail. Absolutely.
1: Maybe maybe the leadership at LSU is just like, we hate Les Miles, we're vacating
2: these <laughs> wins. <laughs> someone's like hey you know what 37 wins would do to his winning percentage <laughs> oh i guarantee you whoever's
1: decision that was they met it's it's awfully suspicious that it landed right at 59 right someone did some math in that thing
2: that's wild
1: on that note episode 330 in the books we'll have a new podcast that'll drop on wednesday just a reminder You can hear Teddy from 3-6 to on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a fantastic week. And until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.
3: Just one more